NBA on NBC. What's up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, a podcast where we discuss retired athletes, all fame candidacies, decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we are being joined by USA Today sports reporter and Baseball Writers Association of America member Steve Gardner to discuss the Hall of Fame candidacy of former second baseman Jeff Kent, deciding whether or not he should get into Cooperstown. Now, a little bit about Jeff Kent before we bring Steve on. Um, Jeff Kent had a 17-year career in the majors. He uh, played from 1992 to 2008. He had a career batting average of 290, a career on base percentage of 356, and a career slugging percentage of 500. He had 2,461 hits, 377 career home runs, over 1,500 RBIs, and a 55.4 career war. He was a five-time All-Star and won the 2000 NL MVP award for the Giants. Now, he's been on the ballot already for seven years. In 2021, it will be his eighth year in the ballot, so he only has a few years left here. And he's never got over 30% of the vote, so he has a long way to go. But we're going to be discussing all that in just a second. So with kind of the high-level stats out of the way, um, I think it's time to bring Steve on. All right, everybody. I'd like to welcome USA Today sports reporter and senior fantasy sports editor, Baseball Writers Associate of America member and fantasy sports writer associate member, Steve Gardner. Steve, you have a lot of titles there. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, Tim. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a renaissance man, I guess, when it comes to, uh, to baseball. So um, Steve is joining us today, and we're, of course, talking about the Hall of Fame candidacy of Jeff Kent who coming up um, on this next year on the ballot will be on his eighth year on the ballot. So he has a few more years left. And before we get to Kent, Steve, I want to kind of ask you a little bit because for 2021, that will be the first year you're actually casting a ballot um, for the Hall of Fame. I just want to know, I mean, I know you don't get your ballot, I think, until November. It's due at the end of December. Um, What's going to be your evaluation process this first year going in and how much time do you plan to spend? Well, being my first time, I certainly want to make sure that the ballot that I cast is perfect in every way in terms of you know how I see the game and how I see the players that are that are up for election. So um, I'm going to spend a lot of time, it may, maybe more than I will ever do in, in my life, just because I know I'm going to get scrutinized. And uh, having written a lot of these columns before about who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and what the candidacies for a lot of these uh, players in previous years with USA Today, um, I'm now going to have to you know, account for what I have to say. And, and uh, it, it's going to count, you know, it's, it's a, this one counts. And so uh, that's why I'm going to, going to pay a lot of attention, but I do that all the time. It's just that uh, I'm going to get a little bit more scrutiny now that the, uh, the vote means something. No, I, I could definitely see that. It has to be so exciting for you. And I mean, have you, have you asked fellow members, like how much time they spend? Are you trying to get a ballpark on, on, on how much time you should be? It seems like you're going to go above and beyond this year, but are you asking for advice or anything like that? Are you kind of keeping it to yourself? You know, baseball, obviously you're going to go by your standards, what you think's right. Yeah. I, I think after, you know, you have to be a baseball writers association member for 10 years. And so yeah. I think even when you first get your baseball writers association card, you start thinking about, wow, you know, I someday could be voting for the Hall of Fame. And you take that really seriously. And I, as it's gotten closer, I think I've, I've put a lot more thought into things. I wrote a column last year about, well, I've got one more year before I have a real vote. Here's the exact process that I'll go through next year. So kind of to do a, a dry run and have people you know, go ahead, shoot the holes in my arguments and that sort of thing. Um, and so hopefully when the, when the time does come, um, I'll, be, I'll be ready for it and we'll be up to the task. Well, again, that's super exciting. I know what you'll be doing in November and December um, so, so kind of looking forward for you for that time. And I'm sure, you know, you've been waiting a bit to do this. So first time around, I think you always remember, you know, who you put on this belt this first time around. Um, so with that, Steve, I think we just jump right in this. Let's go to our, again, we, we kind of tackle three short segments in the beginning and then kind of, again, I want to hear your case for Jeff Kent to be in the hall of fame and then maybe, you know, poking holes at him, what's holding him back since we know he hasn't got that much percent of the vote 
any of the years he's been on the ballot so far. So first short segment is just what comes to mind. So, Steve, this is very straightforward. When I say the name Jeff Kent, what, com- what comes to mind for you? Um, a great hitting second baseman uh, with the San Francisco Giants, a guy that teamed up with Barry Bonds to form, you know, one of the greatest one-two punches I, I think we've seen in the late, um, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, I mean, that was a great time for offense in Major League Baseball. And when you uh, put Barry Bonds, probably the greatest slugger that I've ever seen personally in my lifetime, uh, with a guy who also was a very good offensive player, um, that combination was really fearsome. And uh, the Giants were, were a, a fantastic offensive team with, with that uh, one-two punch there in the Bay Area. So I, I think of Jeff Kent as a guy who you know, certainly is a, a very good offensive performer, but maybe not so great on the defensive side. And um, the one thing I guess you could point out, you know, that, that first comes to mind is he was a great player in the regular season, but didn't really, you know, go that extra mile, didn't really make those huge, didn't have those huge moments in the postseason that um, I think we think of a lot of times when we think about whether a guy is a, a Hall of Famer or not. Yeah, no, um, those are excellent points. And the one-two punch of Bonds and Kent, I mean, they went one, two in MVP voting the, the year Kent won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barry Bonds, again, I think one of the best top three players of all time, steroids aside. Um, but, you know, when you, when you talk about Bonds, like <laughs> one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think of Kent is Bonds, but it's, it's I think, of the fight they had in the dugout right. that one year um, <laughs> and how, you know, they both probably didn't like each other that much. I know they tried to push it on the rug, but Kent left after that year. I'm sure that kind of had a part in it. I know Kent always felt like it was his team, and, and Bonds was the better player, though. Um, they, were, they were both kind of similar, though. I feel like they were both kind of disliked by teammates. They are kind of frosty to the media as well. Um, kind of a couple questions for you. Who, out of Kent and Bonds, who do you think was more disliked by teammates? And then also, who is more disliked by the media? Because I honestly, I can't put my finger on that. I'll tell you what, I I think maybe Kent was disliked more by teammates. Um, I mean, he, it goes back to, I mean, I remember the the first time I think he was traded, um, he, there was, there was an incident where his new teammates hazed him. They they took, uh, I think with the Mets, I believe. They took his clothes out of his, his locker and then put some other clothes in there that uh, belonged to the, the famous play-by-play guy, Lindsey Nelson, uh, I think was the story, and so who wore flamboyant you know, clothes, allowed jackets, that sort of thing. And so they put Lindsey Nelson's clothes in Jeff Kent's locker and you know, kind of a, a harmless little prank. Jeff Kent was not amused, shall we say. And so I think just that prickly reputation, that's, that's the way he was. And mm-hmm. um, so that's one of the things, you know, even before he came to San Francisco, Barry Bonds was a guarded person, um, uh, I think was more disliked by the media than his teammates, because, you know, you talk to a lot of, of Barry Bonds teammates and they have good things to say, uh, partly because of, of how good a player he was. Um, that you could overlook things like that. But uh, for, for Jeff Kent, I think that prickly reputation just followed him you know, from Toronto or Cleveland, Toronto, uh, New York to San Francisco and, and beyond. So I think for that reason, you could probably say that maybe Jeff Kent was uh, maybe less liked among his teammates than Bonds was. Um, I don't know, though. I think the media had an awful lot of opportunity to, uh, to dislike Barry Bonds. So I would say that he was probably uh, more of the media's uh, target. And, and with, you know, disliked by teammates, um, I don't think he, Bonds might have got, I think he, I don't think might have, Bonds definitely got the worst of it from the media. But I know Kent was in a the greatest either interview or anything like that. Do, do no. you think, you know, Kent's prickly personality in general, I think you're phrasing that perfectly. Do you think that kind of hurts his Hall of Fame case at all? I mean, I know you probably shouldn't when you're voting. It should be a to play on the field, how they did. But I know, I mean, voters are human. I mean, do you think that comes into play as he 
again, his Hall of Fame candidacy hasn't got much traction yet. Does that, do you think that comes up? And do you think that will come up for you, even if you don't want it to? It's certainly possible that it has come up with the voters. And I think one of the problems that we've seen, you know, since he's been on the ballot is the ballot has been really crowded. There have mm-hmm. been a lot of good candidates. And I think when you go through your checklist of who you're going to vote for, who you're not going to vote for, and you have to have a list of 10, that maybe when it comes to if Jeff Kent is on that borderline about whether he gets your vote, you know, he's number 10 or he's number 11, that maybe the personality does come out as part of the reason, you know, a tiebreaker or whatever. So I think that's one of the things, it seems like the ballot crunch is easing just a little bit. Yep. So perhaps he's going to get a little bit more consideration maybe and, and may not be left on the outside. But I think whenever you're dealing with personalities and, um, you know, writers' memories, they're going to remember everything, not only what you did on the field, but what you did off the field. And uh, I can't see how it might not play in subconsciously, maybe not if it is a a conscious decision. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. Um, So, so Steve, that was easy. See, that's what comes to mind. That's segment (laughs) number one. Um, (laughs) Moving forward to short segment number two, it's, it's called, we call it that memorable moment. So, um, and I do this across all sports, uh, well, the big three for me, basketball, baseball, and football. So for that memorable moment, it's really when we're looking at a player, um, let's say they get in the Hall of Fame, they're showing clips. There's always like that memorable moment. And I always feel like if a player doesn't have a memorable moment, I, are they a Hall of Famer? I, I don't know. I feel like you should have a couple memorable moments. And, and again, I kind of, I'm very lax on this. It can be their most memorable moment. It can be, or I'm sorry, game, um, single play. It could be a whole playoff series, or it could even be a season. It's just when someone's talking about a player, a Hall of Fame candidate, what are you pointing to is that's their Hall of Fame moment. Um, and I know you said Jeff Ken didn't have, you know, the greatest postseason success. I found a few um, series where he, he did have some um, six, I mean, the World Series, he wasn't, I think, I mean, I think of him as kind of a clutch hitter in the World Series. He did have three home runs, seven RBIs when they were playing the Angels, but mm-hmm. he didn't come big. In, he didn't come up big in some spots. He hit 615 in a divisional series for the, the Dodgers in 2005 later at the end of his career. I mean, they lost that, but I mean, he was hitting the hell out of the ball. And then he also had a three run or three home run, seven RBI series um, in 2004, the National League Championship against St. Louis. Um, but, but again, those aren't like crazy. I don't, I don't know if anyone right. comes to mind. So if I had to say, what's his hall of fame moment, what, what would you say for Jeff Kent? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, um, you know, to go back to what we were talking about, uh, earlier, I, I think when you say Jeff Kent and moment, uh, I, one of the things, and this is completely non-baseball related, but remember in spring training, that one spring training where he was on a, like a dirt bike or something yep. and he broke an ankle or, or something along. I can't remember exactly what the injury he suffered was. And he said that he was washing his truck and he fell. You know, I think that was one of those moments that people said, oh, typical Jeff Kent. And so that's one of those that, that doesn't, you know, it sticks with you and, and talking about, you know, his personality and, and the kind of person that he was, you talk about memorable things that stick with you even after the guy's retired. It's a shame, but that's one of the things, the first things that, that pops up with me. In terms of on the field, though, I think you mentioned the 2004 postseason with the Astros, and um, he did have... I believe it was game five yep. of the, uh, the NLCS. He hit a walk-off three-run homer yep. um, to give the Astros a win and put them within one game of getting to the World Series. And then the Cardinals came back and won the next two and went to the, went to the series. So had the, the, you know, had the Astros been able to win then, go on to the World Series, perhaps we may have, you know, that – moment spurring them to victory and helping them to maybe even a win a world series there you know jeff kent does not have a world series ring and i think that's one of the things you know you look at the major points against him um compared to other players 
and that's one of them. So I, I think certainly we're, we're getting a little bit uh, off track, but in terms of on the field, that walk-off home run in the postseason probably is his biggest moment on the diamond uh, as an active player. No, I, I agree, and I think you said it right. I think the narrative changes completely if they go on to win that series, get to the World Series, then he kind of propelled them there. And then who knows what he would have done in those World Series. You kind of – those October moments count a lot, especially if you're a borderline candidate like Kent. Um, so, so I kind of completely agree with you. I had down here that exact moment. You got it exactly right, by the way. It was game five. It was 2004. Okay. So three, the fact that you knew it was a three-run homer, I feel like it's stuck in your brain somewhat because I didn't know that off the top of my head it was a three-run homer. But you got all those details right. That's what I would say, too. Again, I usually allow because if some people don't have a moment um, – and baseball is a little harder than some of the other sports. Every football player's had like some huge game. Every basketball player that's being considered has like a, a finals moment, usually or a big playoff series. Baseball's a little tougher. Um, I, I also had down here because I do for baseball widen what I allow here a bit. I, I just said it's 2000 MVP season two, um, sure. just because that was, you know, the height of the steroid era. I don't think Jeff Kent's ever been linked to steroids and he still won. You know, there's some top players in the NL that, um, you know, he beat out. He was the first second baseman since Sandberg um, to win the, the um, MVP award. And then he's the last National League second baseman to win it since. So that kind of stands out to me. I've always thought of that for him. But again, that's an entire season. He doesn't have that defining moment, I guess, to, to show on the big screen sometimes. And that can hurt. Yep, indeed. And uh, I think, you know, as we talk about um, second baseman, he did, you know, he had the power that a lot of, uh, you know, was, was not common mm -hmm. back, uh, you know, in, in previous years before, you know, back uh, in, in before the year 2000, uh, let's just say mm -hmm. that you didn't get a lot of power from your second baseman. And um, he's obviously, you know, the, the greatest power hitting second baseman statistically in, in baseball history. Yeah, and I want to get to that a bit more yep. when we go to case four, case again. So I'm going to stop you there. Um, go to our final short segment. I call this And Twins. Ah, no! Quarterbacks eating dirt. Pom-poms and short skirts. Fans who won't quit. And those twins. And I So it's really just, I take a look at the Hall of Fame today. I know Jeff Kent, like you said, the best power hitter, second baseman of all time. Before that, I always thought of second baseman, you know, they're good fielders, they're quick, they're stealing bases, both things Jeff Kent did not do. So he was definitely kind of ahead of his time there. But if you were to look at the Hall of Fame today, who's already in it, who's the most similar to Jeff Kent? Who, who does he remind you of, if anyone? Um, it, I don't know that he necessarily reminds me of anybody, but I think his contemporaries – are you know guys like you know Craig Biggio would would have to be the first guy that comes to mind because when he went to Houston, you know Biggio was there and Biggio moved to the outfield to accommodate Kent there at second base. So I think Craig Biggio is a guy that uh, you have to mention in the same breath if you're doing comparisons. And I think you know as you talked about MVP as a second baseman, that brings Ryan Sandberg into yeah. the conversation. Um, uh, power hitting second baseman. Um, I may have had the record for home runs at the position before Kent did. So I think those two, and I also tend to put in another guy who got in, who was a contemporary of sorts with Jeff Kent, and that's Roberto Alomar. You know, different players, obviously, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, were at the same time among the, the best at their position uh, while they were playing. Yeah, no, so I had... Um... I'm from Chicago. I had Sandberg down. I think that mm -hmm. was obvious for me. And I, I kind of, you know, I was looking through the numbers. Obviously, Sandberg, he's more of a typical second baseman that you think of. He, he, could, he could steal bags. I mean, he had over 50 in a year. I kind of forgot about that. Um, he was a gold glove, multiple gold glove. I believe he had nine gold gloves. But he also had the power. And he won the MVP just like Kent. But, you know, you look at numbers overall, and, you know, Kent has – basically blows them all the water in every offensive category, higher batting average, on base, slugging. It had more hits, home runs, RBIs, all in a, almost equal amount of at-bats. So, see, I got to ask, like, why, why would it be almost impossible to find anyone that thinks Kent was better than Sandberg when he blows them away almost in every offensive category? 
I think what it is, it partly it's the offensive environment that they played in. And because, you know, right when Kent was, was winning his, his MVP award, that's right around, you know, the 1998 uh, home run season, uh, the home run chase with McGuire and Sosa, then Barry Bonds in 2001 with the record uh, that he set. I mean, that was the prime offensive explosion in Major League Baseball. And I think you have to, not discount it, but you have to understand context. And when Ron Sandberg was playing and, and hitting his home runs, it was a different game. And um, so I think that's where the comparison kind of, you know, you can't lose his ground, so to speak, in terms of, of comparison with Sandberg um, before you even get to the defense. No, that, that's completely fair. Um... And yeah, I, I, you know, I am shocked that he actually won the MVP in 2000, just because I think he only hit, I want to say 33 home runs that year. And I feel like I was a kid at the height of the home run era where everyone seemed to be hitting 50 every year. I mean, so say it's 63 years in a row, it became like normal. Um, so I probably looked at that as a kid and it was like 30 something homers. How is this guy the MVP? So I'm actually surprised he won it that year. And kind of just circling back that year in 2000, why? Why did he win that MVP award, do you think? Well, how did he beat Bonds? Because you look at the numbers, and you, Bonds seems like the more likely guy to, to win that. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things is the way that, you know, the, the baseball writing community, I think, was more focused on, you know, RBIs were a huge, huge category. I mean, when, when you looked at a player's production, we want to know how many runs did he drive in? And, uh, you know, when Barry Bonds is on base in front of you and getting, you know, uh, getting walked 100 plus times, um, I think that's one of the things that, that Jeff Kent certainly took advantage of and drove in. I'm looking at his stats now, you know, 33 homers, 125 RBIs, had a higher batting average than Bonds did, you know, hit 334 that year, which is it's pretty darn good. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. You just look at the, the total numbers and you say, oh, well, you know, Jeff Kent hit, hit 330 and Barry Bonds hit 306. So, you know, he had more RBIs than Barry Bonds did. Um, actually, Jeff Kent stole more bases, you know, 12 stolen bases to 11 for Barry Bonds. Um, so I, I think, you know, you look at team success and you look at, you know, that, that's part of the reasons well, part of the reasons why, you know, the Giants were, were a, a good team that year. So you think, well, he helped his team succeed and he also succeeded individually. And, um, and you know, here's the other thing, Jim. I, I wonder if maybe there was a little bit of fatigue on the yeah. part of baseball writers. I mean, you're only having, you know, one baseball writer or two baseball writers from each city. And sometimes, although it wasn't really close in the voting, uh, you may have a bit of, of Barry Bonds fatigue. I mean, he'd already won how many MVP, five MVPs to that point or, or something like that, uh, three or four at least. So let's give it to somebody else. I, I, I think that may be you know, uh, an explanation that we can't overlook. No, that, that's exactly how I had to look at. Obviously, I, I don't know anyone who voted for there, so I don't know. But fatigue, I know, happened all the time with, again, I'm from Chicago, Michael Jordan. He Probably sure the one MVP almost every year he was in the league and mm -hmm. just get tired. They want something new. It's, it's human. So that makes complete sense. All right. So now kind of moving to the me, the presentation, going to court. All right. So actually, before we go to court, we're going to take a detour and do our super short segment. Holy stat real quick. So for holy stat today, we're actually going back to May 3rd, 1999, when the San Francisco Giants were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. On that day, Jeff Kent hit for the cycle. And for those of you who do not know what a cycle is, it's hitting a single, double, triple, and home run all in the same game. It's extremely rare and it's actually happened only 330 times in history. So when Jeff Kent hit for the cycle, um, in 1999, he actually went five for five that day. He had two singles, a double, a triple, and a home run, and had five RBIs. And on that day, for some reason, he ended up playing first base, and that was the only time he ever played first base his career when he hit that cycle. That's holy stat today. Uh, now let's actually go to court. Your Honor, I object. You would. Bastard. Hey, quiet. Overruled. So, so in court, Steve, all we're doing here is 
kind of the case for him getting in the Hall of Fame? So what are the kind of the one or two key points if you were kind of given that elevator pitch of why he should be a Hall of Famer and then kind of the main holes in his Hall of Fame case? And before we get to you, Steve, I want to throw something at you because I can't, I can't unthink this in my head after I kind of came up with this. I don't even know if it's a theory. It's just something I'm thinking through. So I want to ask you a question here. I want to get your reaction. If, if some one of the, your fellow voters is trying to – I don't know what you think yet about Jeff Kent. We'll get to that. But if one of your voters is trying to convince you Jeff Kent needs to be in the Hall of Fame, and he comes up to you and he goes, Steve, like, you know, we, all, we both know Jeff Kent is the top slugging second baseman of all time. I don't think that's a debate. He has, you know, the most homers, like we said. He's number one homers, 377 career. He has 351 at second base – or as a second baseman. Mm-hmm. And then he also has the third most RBIs by a second baseman in MLB history – and the only two people ahead of him were like played before World War II. So long time ago, it's Hornsby. Um, forgot who the other was. It was Hornsby and someone else. Mm-hmm. So, so top three in RBIs at second base, number one in home runs. If you look at every other infield position, so catcher, first base, shortstop, third base. At catcher, the top five home run hitters of all time and the top nine RBI guys are all in the Hall of Fame. If you look at first base, the top two guys are in the Hall of Fame at home runs. Top five RBI, got, RBI guys are in the Hall of Fame, if you include Pujols in that, which he will be in the Hall of Fame. Third base, top four home run hitters, if you consider uh, Beltre to get in. Top five RBI, got, RBI guys are in. And then at shortstop, the top three home run hitters are in, if you include A-Rod, which I think he will get in. And then the top eight RBIs are in, if you include A-Rod at shortstop. So if you look at that across the board, at minimum, the top two home run hitters at each position are in, and at minimum, the top five RBI guys at each position are in. So how can you tell me Jeff Kent, number one in home runs and number three in RBIs, is not going to get in when steroids aren't in play? I mean, it would be completely unprecedented. So what would you tell me if I asked you that? Because I can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Talk about if somebody, you know, the, a friend of mine who was a voter might make that case. That, that conversation, that exact conversation has taken place between me and a fellow writer who is a, a, a longtime BBWAA member from San Francisco, in fact. Uh, his name is Jorge Ortiz, and we've had many conversations about Hall of Fame players and, and who deserves to be in, who deserves to be out. And he has made those exact points when we have discussed it. So it's, it's nothing new to me uh, to hear those words. And I, what I will say is that I look at um, the complete player offensively, defensively, Um, And really, I think Jeff Kent was kind of mischaracterized and out of place as a second baseman in terms of the, the, the kind of hitter he was was more of a corner infield kind of guy. I think he profiled and it came up, I I believe, as a third baseman. But Mm. to get his bat in the lineup, they put him at second base. And, you know, in terms of you, you can't just go on home runs and RBIs. I mean, there are two stats. They're very important, but you have to look at the total picture. And, and I think that's one of the things that you need to say when, when stating a case or analyzing a case is not just pick two stats and say, he's every, you know, everybody but him is in. Um, you've got to look at the entire picture. Sure. No, that, that, that's completely fair. So I take it in that argument your, your friend is the one trying to get you to vote for Jeff Kennan. You're maybe not thinking so much he deserves a vote. Is that kind of the case there? That's, uh, that's right on, yes. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm certainly willing to listen to arguments. And I think that's one of the things you have to be, especially if you have a vote. I, I think you have to be open-minded to the arguments for and the arguments against and to weigh them and, and even talk to people who have, you know, more knowledge uh, of a particular player. You know, if somebody has seen more of a guy's career than you have, uh, I think you have the, you know, responsibility to listen to those types of arguments. So, yeah, I, I, I think Jeff Kent is a very close candidate and certainly a lot closer to a Hall of Fame player than his vote totals have been to this point. Yeah. So um, one more point I want to get across before I kind of – I want to uh... – 
hear your complete case against him. Um, okay. But but before we get there, I, you know, one more thing for kind of a, a pro Kent here is, you know, I look at who who is playing, and I, I agree. I don't think he was a second baseman. I think he was kind of like Alfonso Soriano, who was a second baseman at first. They finally threw him in the outfield because he could not play second base to save his life. Um, but, you know, I think if he, he still played second base. That was his primary position. He played right. almost his entire career there. Um, and I look at the other players from that time. So, like, Roberto Elamar, I he's definitely – I rank him ahead of Kent there. I have Craig Biggio. Um, I think a Chuck Knobloch. Um, and then later at the tail end of his career, because Kent came on later. I mean, he didn't, he didn't really make his – I don't think he made his first all-star team until 31. Um, he was a late bloomer for sure, which I think – really hurt him but you know at the end of his career when he was still producing you know Chase Utley came on the scene and then Robinson Cano came on the scene so those are the kind of the people I put him in there with so LMR, Biggio, Knobloch, uh, Utley and then um, Robinson out of those what five players like how do you see him fitting among there like how how would you rank those off the top of your head because I I guess I would have him I guess I would have him behind uh, Roberto I would have him behind, I think, like Utley. And I, I, so, so this is the thing with Biggio. I, Biggio played a long time. He, he accumulated the stats, but he wasn't that good at defense either. He, was, he, could, he could run. So stolen bases, he was getting those, of course. He's way, way, way better base runner. But you have to look at his defense. I think he won a couple gold gloves. But if you look at advanced metrics, which I don't live or die by. I mean, if you win a gold glove, you had to be a somewhat good fielder. But at the same time, he was top 10 in errors at second base seven seasons of his career. Jeff Kent was top 10 nine times, so still, right. but he, he wasn't the best. So Bichu and Kent, I honestly have neck and neck when I rank these. So, so curious, what do you, what, how do you rank those second basemen? Is he last or is he in the middle of the pack? Um, he's, I think, you know, all of those guys are very good. And in terms of Bichu, I think Bichu's versatility helps him defensively you know he may not have been a a great second baseman but he was also you know he came up as a catcher he yep. was able to move to the outfield so i mean he was at least you know athletic enough to be able to play multiple positions so i think that gives him an edge and i think you made a great point about you know jeff kent not really coming into our consciousness until he was almost 30 years old and i think that's one of the things if you talk about um, you know, those subconscious factors that may keep people from, from voting for him, that slow start to his career, you know, when he started with the, with the Blue Jays and went to the Mets and really didn't do a whole lot of things uh, with the Indians, didn't do anything in that one season until he was traded to the Giants. He was never really thought of as a, a very good player offensively or defensively. And so I think that's one of the things um, that held him back, you know, if you have such a slow start and you don't really get going until age 29 or 30, how can you be a Hall of Famer? Um, sure. I, I think that's one of the things that, that makes it hard for people to say, oh, yeah, certainly. Whereas, you know, with Biggio, with Alomar, all of those guys, I mean, they were good from a very young age and were very good for a long time. And I think that's where, you know, even though Jeff Kent did end up playing what, 16, 17 years, um, those guys, it seems like have a more distinguished career because they were good for a longer period of time. So yeah, in terms of of comparisons, I I think the interesting one, the real interesting one there is Robinson Cano and how we will view Cano versus Jeff Kent. Uh, they're more uh, a bit more similar. And I think I looked at the baseball reference similarity scores and the number one comp for Jeff Kent is Robinson Cano. So how will the voters treat Cano versus how they've treated Kent, I think will be an interesting thing for, for many years to come after Cano retires. I, I could not agree more. I'm super, and again, Cano though, he's someone that started off young playing extremely well and has tailed off. It's almost mm-hmm. the exact opposite of Kent. So when I think of him, I, I always think of him as that young player just dominating. So it could be something just subconsciously, you know, if they're not like, I feel like nowadays, if someone's not good by 30, I'm kind of writing them off. It's, it's very rare to come on that late. Um, so that, that could be a major factor that I wasn't even really thinking of. Um, so, so before we kind of move on to the case against anything else that we've, I mean, I feel like we've covered all, like, obviously you can't really argue with his home run numbers, RBI numbers, 
Um, and then we kind of talked about how he compares to other second basemen of, of the time. Um, anything else I'm leaving off that you would always kind of mention as something um, that kind of, you know, pushes his Hall of Fame candidacy to actually getting inducted? Um, I, I guess you know, the one other thing would be that even though he was on several different teams, he did take four or he was on four different teams that made the postseason. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things too, even with the Astros, you know, mentioned the Astros, not only the Giants, um, also the Dodgers. He had an all-star season with the Dodgers late in his career and went to the, um, uh, to the playoffs. So I think that's one of the things, yes, you may not have liked him, but uh, he was, he was, he helped you win. And I think for that reason, he does deserve the credit. All right. That, that's fair enough. Um, so kind of going across the aisle, the case against, you know, I think we've hammered home. His defense was not up to uh, par again, top five and top five. No, I'm sorry, not top 10 in airs, top five in airs, nine seasons at second base. Um, so, so that, that's not great. Something I want to get to Steven, get your kind of thoughts on and how you view it. You know, when we're going to advanced matri- metrics, saber metrics, um, that's where Kent compared to his contemporaries doesn't doesn't fare too well. So at the the big numbers like again home runs, RBIs that my generation of again I grew up like part of ninety eight home run race. All I cared about was RBIs, home runs, and especially fantasy baseball. Like that's all we cared about. So they were the guys. But when you look at advanced metrics, which are now coming up more and more um, as we're looking at Hall of Fame candidates, especially you know recently Tim Raines got in based on his advanced metrics. Larry Walker without saber metrics, I don't think he has any chance of getting in you know, 20 years ago, even if you look at Kent's, um, he's at 55.4 career war, which is almost identical to like Ian Kinsler who just retired, which uh-huh. I don't think of Ian Kinsler <laughs> as a, as a potential hall of famer. I don't know if he'll get the 5% to stay on when he gets on the ballot, but then you look at even his peak war. So even when, you know, he went through that peak where he's driving all those RBIs, it was 35.8 across that seven-year peak. Uh, the average Hall of Famer second baseman's 44. So he's quite a bit of wins off there. And then um, his jaws, if you want to take a look at that as well, is 45.6. An average second baseman's 57. So he's pretty far off when you look at that. And, and I want to know when you're, you know, thinking about should someone be in the Hall of Fame, how closely are you looking at advanced metrics like that? I, I do. I look a lot at uh, advanced metrics, and I know that, that war is not perfect, but it, it does give you a, a good, at least baseline for comparisons. And uh, I think one of the interesting things, too, is that, you know, when I look at the case for Jeff Kidd, and I guess we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but yeah, in terms of how he stacks up among other second basemen, and that's kind of how I view when I'm thinking is this guy a Hall of Famer or not? I'm thinking, is he among the best at his position and the best among his contemporaries at that position? Um, and you know, when you talk about career war and all that sort of stuff, his do, he doesn't really come very close. And I think part of that is the, the, the defensive metrics. It's hard oh, yeah. to quantify defense, but when you factor in defense and career war, and Jeff Kent ends up being number 19 among second basemen all time, you start to say, well, was, you know, was he that good? Um, and so in that regard, yeah, I think I do put uh, a decent amount of stock in that, possibly because it kind of reinforces what uh, my feelings were uh, about Jeff Kent uh, without digging that deep. And, and I want to kind of go back because – I always think through this and I want to know your thoughts when it comes to someone as a defensive player. Um, what, what, do you take that much stuff? You said advanced metrics for defense. It's hard to quantify. I, I agree with that. And sometimes you look at some of these players in the past, that have all these gold gloves, but if you look at their advanced defensive metrics, they're, they're pretty bad. But when you're thinking, when you're looking at hall of fame, can see um, how much stock do you take into gold gloves? How much stock do you take into, um, the advanced metrics, and then are you more asking around to people that actually watch them play more than you? Are you looking back at old film? What, what's your criteria for defense? Because I feel like it's the hardest thing to kind of um, break down when you're looking at someone's candidacy. It is, and I think one of the things too, um, why I tend to believe maybe the numbers more than just someone's memory 
um, is because we have selective memories about, uh, you know, Jeff Kent was, was doing that, you know, or any player. Um, he was a great fielder. And then when you actually go back, I, I think of, remember when Jack Morris, the big topic of discussion was Jack Morris pitched to the score. Yep. And that was the big thing. You know, well, his ERA is so high because, you know, he knew what the score was and he would allow runs that didn't really matter. And there were some brilliant research done um, about, well, did he really? And going back through every single box score. And when you look at the numbers, memory kind of uh, gets a little fuzzy because the numbers say no he didn't really pitch to the score. He actually allowed a lot of those runs in games and at times when it really mattered. So I think that's one of the things that helps when you can take an objective number, you know, or set of numbers or, or metric or, or something like that and look at, is this reaffirming what I think I believe or is this telling me something different? And so that's where I tend to maybe put a little bit more stock in some of those, even though war, as we said, you know, not a perfect statistic, not uh, infallible in terms of its accuracy, especially on the defensive side, but it gives you a little bit more of an objective way to look at things. And so that's where, that's where I come down and that's, you know, the, the numbers versus, uh, you know, the subjective uh, aspect of it. No, that, that's a really good explanation. Um, and then, you know, outside of the, you know, obviously bad defense, lack of speed, under 100 career steals, you know, he, he made five all-star teams. And again, a lot of that because, is because he kind of came on really late at the end of his career. Um, mm -hmm. Do you take major stock in that, all-star team appearances, especially since some of it's, you know, fan vote? I mean, other of it's not. Do you take yeah. major stock? Is that a big knock against him for you? I, it, it sort of is. I mean, you, you want to have the guys who are the best, again, at their position at that time. So comparing them against their contemporaries. And yeah, if he only makes five all-star games, then you would think that a Hall of Famer would make, you know, more. Um, you, would, you would think that uh, he would be, for instance, the best player on his team. And I don't think that if we talk about the case against Jeff Kent, I think one of the factors is, he never really was the best second baseman in the game. He never really was the best player on his team. There were, there were so many others, not just Barry Bonds, but certainly the other teams beforehand. Um, and then the teams afterwards, you know, those Astros teams, there were plenty of better players. And, and as he aged, uh, even though he did have an all-star season with the Dodgers, he was certainly not the best player on that team. Uh, so that's where I think Jeff Kent does fall short in in terms of measuring him against everybody else at the position and uh you know even on his own team yeah and and i guess before we get to kind of the final verdict any other major cases against i mean i feel like we've covered the speed we've beat the defense to death the guy cannot <laughs> play defense i think we all know that are there any other major kind of case against um arguments that you would pose or, or kind of throw out there is why Jeff Kent, you know, probably won't get in the Hall of Fame or doesn't have a great shot due to the fact that he is nearing the end of his time in the ballot and he really hasn't got much momentum um, to get to that 75% he needs. Yeah, the only other thing I would say is, you know, the, there's a, a phrase called black ink. If you look at a player's baseball reference uh, page, how many times did he lead the league in a particular category? And Jeff, Jeff Kent has none offensively. You know, he never led the league in any major statistical category. And so I think that's one of the things, too, if you're talking about the case for or against, um, that certainly has to be a, a strike against him. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I agree there. And he, even, like, again, his best season, um, I don't even think he was top, I want to say, five in home runs or even ten in home runs that year. Um, which, which again, in that time period, at least was what everyone cared about in RBIs. I think he was top 10 a few times, but he definitely never led the league people. God, I think people like Todd Helton then were hitting like 150 in a season. Oh, yeah. Sam, I, I, that was, that was the time to play fantasy baseball and just <laughs> have glorious RBI totals at the end of the, uh, end of the week. Um, so, so Steve, with that, let's, let's take it to final verdict. 
Um, so this is, this is the end of the podcast. We're unfortunately almost done here already. Um, this is where one, I kind of want to hear. And again, if, as a Hall of Fame voter, if you don't want to say this on, on a podcast, you don't have to. But <laughs> I, I have two kind of questions here we always address. One, would you vote for him in the Hall of Fame? And because you actually have a vote, it's a little different here than usual with our guests. Um, so one, would you vote for him for the Hall of Fame? And two, do you think he'll actually get into the Hall of Fame? So two different questions there. If you don't want to answer the first question, I understand. If you just want to answer the second question, that's fine with me. Well, I'll tell you, Jim, I, when I wrote my, you know, my virtual ballot for last year and getting ready for this particular moment of, of being able to cast an actual ballot, Jeff Kent was not on the, on the, uh, the final uh, players that I said yes to. And, um, you know, we've discussed a lot of the reasons why in terms of, you know, I, as I said, I still want to keep an open mind. And because the ballot crunch has eased a little bit, there's room, I believe, on the, this coming ballot to have guys that maybe are not lock Hall of Famer, you know, Hall of Famers in that regard to possibly have room to get onto the ballot. So uh, if there's, you know, compelling reason, you know, uh, again, I'm going to ask people, I'm going to talk to people and, and get a last round of input before I make my final decision. But as of last year, Jeff Kent was not on my ballot. And um, because it's getting late in his, you know, uh, tenure on the ballot and his ballot total has not increased considerably, um, I think there's probably a better chance that uh, that he does not get on the uh, get in the Hall of Fame. So um, at this point, uh, things don't look so great for Jeff Kent, even though, again, a heck of a player, as we've as we've discussed. Yeah. And, you know, he has been about seven years. Um, so last year or this year, I'm sorry, in 2020, he jumped up to 27.5 percent of the vote. So he had 18.2 percent the previous year. So he jumped up quite a bit there. But he does still have a long way to go. And the only, you know, I was trying to find out who, has anyone came down from, you know, that low percentage total and actually got in the Hall of Fame? And, and Larry Walker, actually, who just got in, he, he's the one Jeff Kent has to look for if he has any hope to getting in. Because Jeff, or uh, Larry Walker, in his seventh year, actually only got 21.9% of the vote. Then he jumped to 34% in his eighth year, 54% in his ninth, and then got in finally, of course, with just 76% of the 10th. And I, I think he deserved to get in, but he had a late push. He had a lot of momentum behind him. Kent will need that. And it will be interesting to see what he does in 2021. If he can jump into that 30 range, um, which he's only a few percentage points off at this point, like Larry did in his eighth, maybe, maybe he does um, have a chance. And, and as you said, the ballot gets like no one coming on next year, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's real, I mean, it, the the top guys. If you look, it's like Tory Hunter. There's no Mark Derek Jeter. No, yeah. no. There's no Mariano no one, Rivera. There's no one new, and and there was 12 guys ahead of him on the ballot this year. Two of them got in, so now he's a top 10 guy compared to last ballot. No new guys are getting in, so I think he could see a jump. I really do. I mean, next in, next year's the year of the can Clemens and Bonds get in? I think that's going to be the main main topic. This is their time to get in because no one new's coming on. I think mm -hmm. Schilling will probably get in. I think Bonds and Clemens, this is their best bet. But I think Kent has a strong chance to jump up. But I guess to answer final verdict, do I think he'll get in in this 10 years? I don't, unfortunately. I don't, as you said, he kind of has a prickly relationship with everyone. I don't know if it's going to be like the goodwill, like let's get Larry Walker and <laughs> let's get Tim Raines yeah. and those. Everyone loves those guys. I feel like they want to get him in. I don't know if Jeff Kent's going to get that kind of fan club. But do I think he should get in? I think you might have heard my tone earlier. I, I do think he should get in. I, I can't, again, I grew up, I know home runs and RBIs do not have the, um, they're not as big as they once were, I guess. Now we look beyond RBIs and home runs, as we should. But I, I grew up in that time. I still think they're important. And I still think, again, top two home run hitters at every infield position are in already. Top five RBI producers are in already or are going to get in. I just can't get that out of my head that we'd be leaving him out. It would be completely unprecedented. Of course, that can happen. Those things do happen. There are outliers. Jeff Kent could be the outlier, but I just can't get my head out of that. So I, I vote him in, but as you 
believe as well. I don't think he's going to get in in this 10 years. So. Yep. And the other thing too, is we still have veterans committees and, and other things. So it's, even if he doesn't get voted in by the baseball writers association, there could be, you know, another avenue to be able to get into Cooperstown. That that's completely true down the road. He could, that happened just for a great cub, Ron Santo, just, um, you know, earlier in the, I guess last decade now, but um, I believe that was 2012 he got in and, and he was the one where advanced metrics actually helped him get in. Again, Jeff Kent is the rare one where advanced, like I think 30 years ago, Jeff Kent would have got in in a heartbeat. It's probably um, true. It, yes. It's, it's like the, it's the, op, it's almost, it's the inverse of what's happening for everyone else. Like it's, he's not getting in because of advanced metrics almost maybe. Yeah, so, I mean, you got to take the, the entire, you know, the, the, the entire player. And uh, yep. I think uh, it's easier now to quantify that than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I, I agree. All right, Steve. Well, again, thank you very much for joining today. I appreciate talking Jeff Kent with you. And before we go, Steve, is there anything you want to plug on your end? Uh, no, just uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Steve A. Gardner and um, I'll fairly active most of the time. Uh, and also I write a, a fantasy baseball column for USA Today Sports Weekly and uh, write about baseball, you know, whenever and however for usatoday.com. So uh, check out our, our baseball page there at uh, USA Today Sports. All right. Well, Steve Gardner, thank you very much for joining today and have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much. Appreciate right, thank it. you. All right, so that concludes our Jeff Kent episode. I'd like to thank Steve um, again for joining us. It was great to hear his insight, and I'll be interested to see if down the line um, he ever changes his mind on Jeff Kent and ends up voting for him. Again, Jeff Kent has three more years left. And, and I, again, I really enjoyed talking to Steve. I hope I can bring him on um, in November, December when Baseball Hall of Fame voting is actually going on when he actually has the ballot and talk about a few other players um, that will be on the ballot that I think are borderline Hall of Famers that could make great episodes. Um, thank you all for joining. Again, if you haven't um, subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do leave us a rating. We'd appreciate it. And with that, um, I hope, uh, hope, hope you join next Monday. We'll talk to you next Monday.